Welcome to another edition of Bound for Justice. I'm Charlotte Wilson. I'm Rachel Rosman. And I'm Sharissa Foley. Well, good afternoon or good evening, depending on where you're at. Welcome back, ladies, for another week. Glad to be back with you both. Good talking to everyone again. How's everybody been doing? Any big news or things to share with folks from the last week or so? Oh, man, I guess just trying to process everything that's that's going on um, in today's world and trying to not get too fatigued um, and trying to take purposeful rest um, so that I can stay actively engaged and capitalize on the momentum that is happening right now in our world. So that's kind of where I am. It's a very wise measured approach. Rachel, how about you? Yeah, I think there is so much going on. Um, It is hard to really keep up with everything. And it's, it's kind of exhausting. And so like, do you ever notice where, when you're talking about something that's not related to everything going on in the news, you're like, Oh, my gosh, like, I I can't remember the last time I had a normal conversation with people sometimes. Or do you guys not do that? It definitely can. (laughs) No, I mean, I, I think it definitely can take over. Um, and so it's, it's definitely, a, I think, um, requires a, a little bit of discipline to kind of stop. Um, I know I was uh, texting back and forth, um, with a couple of folks probably a week or two ago, and I, I shared the term doom scrolling. Have you guys heard that uh, term before? Yeah. <laughs> I had never heard of it and it showed up in an, an email newsletter that, that I subscribe to, but it's basically that sort of that idea that you're just continuously scrolling through. I think we were doing a lot of it with COVID and now it feels like we're doing a lot of it with um, all of the the um, racism stuff that we're processing through in, um, in the United States, just story after story after story. And after a while, it just, it gets a little overwhelming. It definitely can get overwhelming. Um, so purposeful rest, taking social media breaks. And I think that's like vital. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah. So I know the other big thing that that happened for us and our family this um, this past week or so. Um, last Friday, we gathered together to celebrate the life of our grandmother. She passed away earlier this month. Um, she was the, the last the last living grandparent of for me and my immediate siblings. And, and so that was obviously a, a sad occasion, but also a celebration of her life and, and who she was. And, you know, inevitably, you know, when you're preparing to, for a funeral celebration, you know, folks, you know, you, you naturally go through and, um, you know, look for the pictures that you have of your loved ones. And Tracy, you posted a really nice one of you and grandma Lucy, which is really sweet. And, our one of our cousins who was particularly close her 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 grand her kids her, our grandmother's great grandkids they were really close and so it's just nice to see some of those pictures of some really sweet moments you know true genuine joy and and happiness spent with great grandchildren rest in peace grandma um, thank you for everything that you did and we look forward to seeing you in heaven well this week we are covering um, the book stamped. Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. Um, It's written by Jason Reynolds and adapted um, from the book by Ibram X. Kendi, Stamped from the Beginning. This book, and I'm just going to read um, the uh, about the book from the publisher because it's just written so perfectly. The, the book is about the construct of race has always been used to gain and keep power to create dynamics that separate and silence. 
Stamped reveals the history of racist ideas in America and inspires hope for an anti-racist future. It takes you on a race journey from then to now, shows you why we feel how we feel, and why the position of racism lingers. It also proves that while racist ideas have always been easy to fabricate and distribute, (laughs) they can be discredited. Um, So this is a young adult book. Um, Anyone can read it. It's geared toward younger readers, but it's really anybody can can uh, pick it up and and gain a lot from it. The audiobook is only about four hours long. Um, I did both, uh, which was was great. And the book is broken down into sections based on specific time periods. So it begins in the 1400s and it ends in present day. And the book was published just this past March, so 2020. So that's that's pretty present. There was so much in this book. What what was your guys's overall takeaway after after reading through it? I think that when when I first started it, I have a friend who has some younger daughters and he's been trying to expose them to more. He took them to the protests and I said, oh, we're getting ready to start this book and it'll probably be really great for your girls to read. And then like two chapters in, I have a notepad and I'm taking notes on everything like, oh, I didn't even realize this. I have to look this up more. Or I need to find out more about this person. And it was so much, so much information. And i I really liked how Jason Reynolds presented it. Like I, I did the, I have the hard copy of the book and then I follow along. I um, get the audio book and then listen to the, like he read it and it was great. Like I just liked his um, vibe when he was, I've said that a a bunch of times today, but just like when he would be like, pause, unpause. (laughs) I loved those. (laughs) Or stop, inhale, exhale. Oh yeah. It was great. It was great. He'd say something controversial and then go, hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely the audiobook was, I mm-hmm. enjoyed it a lot. And I even had to tell somebody about the um, Thomas Jefferson being the first person to ever say, hey, I've had a black uh, friend. And I cracked up. I was like, I was like, this guy, he's like, no, I don't know if this is for sure, but I'm willing to bet. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I, I I think I would count it as a good book because we listened to a handful of chapters as a family. I had my girls listen. They didn't listen to the whole thing, but we picked out a few here and there. And um, my younger daughter said, well, I don't, I don't not like it. So um, (laughs) I think she goes, it's pretty okay. I'll listen to some more. I'll take it. (laughs) For for preteens and teenagers, I think that's pretty good. So the one thing I did like about it, so Sharissa, you mentioned that it's broken into four chapters. I liked where they started in terms of, I think a lot of times um, when we think about racism in America, it's all centered around American history and the, the whatever they're able to shove into, you know, the couple American history classes that you might take, you know, through your K through 12 education. And it's all centered around um, what happens here in the formation of our government. But they take it all the way back and really dig into the roots of racism and where that idea even started before it ever made it to America. Um, so I thought that that was really good in terms of just kind of help um, help to ground the reader and, you know, the true history and origin of, of it. Yeah, there's so much history in it that's condensed down. Um, and I think, Rachel, you mentioned a moment ago that you were like, oh, I want to go look this up and I want to go look that up. And I kind of had the same reaction. There's just so much in there. I learned so much. And 
as I was reading through it, I was like, did I just not pay attention in school or was this stuff not taught in school? And I think a lot of it was not taught in school. So unless <laughs> you were like a history major, like in college, I don't know, or you, you're just a history buff and you seek this stuff out, the normal everyday citizen is not just going to stumble across this information. And I appreciated understanding that full history, like you said, Charlotte, going back before the colonies you know, were created. It started mm-hmm. way before then. Um, so at one point I was like, well, I, I should know this stuff. Then I'm like, well, if I was never taught it, mm-hmm. how am I supposed to know? So um, it, there was just so much in it. And uh, with reading it, it, it made, when I was done, my first thought was, okay, now I want to go read Stamped from the Beginning, which is much more in depth. It's a much bigger book. Um, I want to go read that now because I want to know all that detail. I want to know all the ins and outs of, you know, everything. So, yeah, it just feels like a great opportunity to really arm yourself, um, fully arm yourself with all the knowledge that you need in order to have an intelligent conversation. And I don't, know that it's even anything that history majors would have gone over. Like it'd be like if you studied African-American history in college or African-American studies, then maybe you would have touched on these subjects. But I don't even know that that they would have been in normal history classes. <laughs> I don't know. I was not a history person, but um, but I'm, it was so in-depth. It was, it was good. I, it's stuff that I wouldn't have normally gotten anywhere else. Ibram um, X. Kendi wrote the introduction to the book. Um, and one of the things that he pointed out was that knowing the past pays the way to understand today. And that's such a powerful and powerful and important point um, when it comes to someone who has the argument, well, this is all in the past. Why just can't we, why can't we just get over it? Um, but if you don't understand the past, how are you going to understand what's going on today so you can make the future better? So have you guys ever had conversations along those lines where people are like, well, that's all in the past. It doesn't matter anymore. Did you guys see the video? I kind of sent you that one video from with John Oliver. And at the end, that girl is talking. If there's a longer excerpt of her doing like a, a bigger explanation of stuff. And that's a lot of that. I mean, you, I think Sharice, you said something about, um, how you liked how she said it's good that African-Americans are looking for equality and not revenge because of everything that's happened in the past. And she does this big example of a monopoly game and how, how like life has been like a monopoly game and you aren't allowed to like all the money you get, you have to give to somebody for, you know, so many years. And then once you're allowed to keep the money, then people come in and destroy it. Like the, um, like the Tulsa riots and everything is burnt down and you get it taken away and then when you don't have enough money, then people are blaming you for not having enough. And um, it was really a good explanation. And so I have some friends who have sent that off to other people. And I'm like, hey, you know, maybe check this out because it explains things a little bit better. Um, yeah, I, I found um, reading through the book, you know, reflecting on lots of things that, you know, maybe we've talked about or things that we're seeing present day, you know, within the last 10 years or so listening to um, Jason Reynolds read through or tell stories about the past. I'm like, okay, okay. That's just like today. That's like 10 years ago. That's what happened over here. This is what we hear people say now. So you could start to see the parallels and the similarities and see where we are literally repeating history in some places. And that's just so crazy frustrating. But I think for, um, like you said, like for people who aren't, nece- who aren't necessarily, 
are kind of frustrated because they're not understanding why this is a big deal. I think this book really helps to to make that connection and um, could create a lot of light bulb moments for for folks who are searching to understand. That's a perfect point. Um, the fact that we keep repeating history, <laughs> that's, it's not all in the past. It's mm-hmm. still here. <laughs> We're still dealing with the same things. And I, I think that people use that, well, it's just all in the past as an excuse to not have to dig deeper and to not have to really face some things. Um, but again, we're just going to keep repeating it over and over again until we actually look at what happened and say, okay, that was pretty crappy. Let's change our ways and do things differently. Well, and I think the other thing too that this book will challenge us is the history that we think we've been taught might maybe incomplete or was inaccurate. Um, And I think this book shines light on some stories that we may have never heard before. Like you said, Teresa, there's a lot of stuff that you're just like, I've never heard this. I think, too, that um, and and Jason Reynolds uh, brought this up in the book when he was talking about Harvard and being uh, the the first uh, college in America and how they were not allowed to. they, They had a certain set of curriculum that they had to teach against they weren't allowed to, to have any other ideas. So when you have your higher institutions of learning who are um, structuring their curriculum in a certain vein, that's, that's the only thing that's available to learn. So it's, mm-hmm. it's rigged. It was rigged from the beginning. So it was stamped yeah. from the beginning. <laughs> that was the other, <laughs> you know, that was the whole title. thing. <laughs> what was that, Rachel? So, Oh, I said that was the backup title, rigged from the beginning. <laughs> they went ahead and did stand. So, Sharisa, you mentioned that the, you alluded to Harvard and that they weren't allowed to challenge um, anything. Um, can, you, can you say a little bit more about that? Well. Not to put yes. you on the spot. Well, you, oh, okay. you did. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. I mean, it just popped into my head while we were talking, but I think it's a very good point. So let me just... Um, where was that in the book? That was in the very beginning because it was talking about, because who was it that well, went to it, Harvard? So um, Cotton and Mather, oh, so like the Cotton they and establish Mather. Harvard, right? Yeah. And they and they established a lot of their beliefs on, um, or the their philosophies and, and build a lot of things around Aristotle, right? And Aristotle yes. had a belief around human hierarchy, that some humans were better than others, but he, he placed Greeks at the top of the hierarchy and they kind of borrowed that model or that idea, but they put Puritans at the top of the hierarchy instead. Right. Right. So I, I thought that was interesting too. And something that I noticed throughout the book and it challenged me is that nobody um, was, was um, nobody, nobody escapes this book free from criticism or true critique. (laughs) And even even our our um, beloved black leaders that we look up to, they they call out some of the contradictions in the sort of the the path that they took in terms of their beliefs um, and their their um, movement towards becoming anti-racist. Yes, Um, I did find a a portion in the text that that talks about Harvard, uh, Harvard, (laughs) Harvard. so 
during the development of Harvard, they made it so that Greek and Latin texts could not be disputed, which meant Aristotle, a man who believed in human hierarchy and used climate to justify which humans were better, it could not be disputed and instead had to be taken as the truth. So that's where that, that flawed beginnings, you know, that's, that's where it comes from. And, and Charlotte, you alluded to the fact that some of our beloved uh, um, heroes of history kind of had double standards. Um, and, and that comes back to the definitions in the first chapter um, of segregationists, assimilationists, and anti-racists. They give those um, specific um, definitions in the very beginning of the book. And they point out those specific examples um, and certain um, events that happen with certain people. Um, I had never quite looked at, at those definitions like that before. Like it never broken down like that for me before. And the fact that you could fall in one or more of those categories. Um, and that goes to your point, Charlotte, of how some of our revered people in history kind of fell in multiple camps um did, was this new to you guys too like was this was were these ideas something that you've considered segregationist assimilation so and I all feel that? like um growing up we would have said that we would have described somebody as who is an anti-racist we would have called them militant yeah um, which sounds a little more um it, and it wasn't always necessarily meant in a positive way let's, let's just be honest yes um, we would have said, oh, yeah, you're yes. a militant black, but you're an anti-racist. That's what that is. Um, right. So, but and I agree with you, the idea that you might kind of <clears throat> live between um, you might sort of vacillate between different identities within the within that sphere. Hopefully you're never a racist. Um, but 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 actually, Kendi even said, I think in his introduction, that as he was writing stamped or from, stamped from the beginning, he had to explore and address his own racist beliefs because in America we're 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 dripping in it, so it's you can't help but get a little on you. Um, so it 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 you're not you're not um, you're not immune from it just because you happen to be black. You still got to deal with your own stuff. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I think that we all have to to own our own stuff. You know, I, this this is not something that we've never talked about before, but. It, the more you dig into stuff, the more you're like, oh, well, maybe, yeah, I need to rethink that. And, 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 and okay, I mean, I don't want anybody to feel bad like, well, maybe I'm not always, you know, militant like I should be or falling in the anti-racist camp, like doing all the right things and never doing anything wrong. But it's, it's, a, it's ever, it's always processing. It's something that's always evolving. And that's okay. And I, I think I like that about the book, too, is that it goes through different people um, that we've kind of looked up, like it has W.E.B. Du Bois and um, Booker T. Washington and Martin Luther King Jr. And it shows that they've made these different transitions throughout their life, going from like one way of thinking and then learning something and transitioning to another way of thinking. And I think it was good so that way we can kind of look at ourselves and be like, oh, yeah, I've got some regrets, but you know, where am I going to go from here and how am I going to change what I'm doing now? So I really like that part. I really like the fact that Jason Reynolds was like merciless with telling, talking about. He people. was, he was, I was like, dang, it really <laughs> made me feel a little bit like more human. I think. 
Nobody got a pass. Nobody. Nobody got a pass. Everybody. It it, it was equal. (laughs) It's definitely equal. Um, One of the people that uh, was written about was Angela Davis and her um, part in the book really stuck out to me because I didn't know a lot about Angela Davis. I just had that idea in my head, like you said earlier, Charlotte, that she was just very militant. Um, But there was so much more um, that was shared in the book. And I really would like to learn even more about her. Um, were, were you guys familiar with her and her work? And, or was it? New I knew you, she or? was associated with the communist party and I knew she had spent some time in jail and that she was a professor. Honestly, I'm not sure that I knew a lot beyond that. Um, but it w- I was shocked to hear the story of why she ended up in prison. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Absolutely. Yeah. But I don't know why I should be surprised, but it just, I don't know. The the story was so crazy. Yeah. The whole thing about, I think it was Ronald Reagan that got her fired from her job Mm -hmm. at the university. Like, what was that all about? I was like, what? Yeah, there was. So I'm like, there's a lot more there. There's a lot more to learn about her and, and her work. I thought it was crazy like, I guess I didn't put it together. And you hear so many different stories, you never realize how people are linked. But the relationships that she had with the four girls that were killed in the church, that she knew, like, all of them, basically, I mean, three out of the four, at least when he was telling the story. And I thought that was wild that she was over in Germany or France. She studied Mm -hmm. abroad a lot. And I I thought that was crazy. And then she's looking back, reading about these names of all these little girls that she knew. And I was like, that's wild that like she's been all these places and yet that story still really stuck with her because she knew them personally whereas we're just hearing the the names through history i guess so so did you guys have a particular favorite chapter oh man well i'll so so much of it was so good i'll go first go ahead what was yours I was, do you, oh, well, Charlotte, you, do you have a favorite chapter? I was thinking <laughs> that I might talk about, I, I, um, I don't, I'm not sure I would call it a favorite chapter, but I thought it was, um, it was a particularly uh, a notable chapter for me. Um, and it was a short chapter. It says that at the very first sentence, it was chapter nine, where he talks about uplift suasion. Um, and I, ah. I, I thought this was really interesting because it kind of explains um, the assimilationist mindset, which, um, I mean, is still um, alive and well, you know, today. Um, I, obviously, all four, all four of the mindsets are alive and well today. Um, but um, I thought that this was um, particularly interesting where he, um, it just, I'll just read, it says, uh, it's important to keep this in mind. Because it would be the cornerstone of assimilationist thought, which basically said, make yourself small, make yourself unthreatening, make yourself the same, make yourself safe, make yourself quiet to make white people comfortable with your existence. And I think about, I'm sure you guys have seen articles or you've seen the videos where um, there's a, you know, there's a, a young black man talking about, you know, we talk about the talk when you get stopped by the cops or there's a young black man who talks about all the rules that his mother instilled in him before he was ever allowed to leave the house. Um, and I think this, 
this kind of points right back to that. Like some of the reason why you might see assimilationist behavior being displayed is because it's, it's, um, the audacity that you, that you would be anything other than that might get you killed. Um, and so I just, I don't know, for whatever reason that, that just, that struck me. I, you know, go ahead, Rachel. I was gonna say, I think we see that in the news now when you see, um, I, without naming any names, like black people who are coming in and kind of bad mouthing other black people, like, why can't you do more of this? Or why can't you do that? Like, look at me, I've, I've made it into the culture. And you know, I've assimilated. And, and so I think that people are seeing that like, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that person's successful is like, and then white people um, also grasp hold of that. So I think that assimilationist perspective, or that attitude where like, if you just become like white people or like the majority, then, then here you are, you can make it. Um, speaking from personal experience, um, and just being honest, I think that I've done a lot of those things just kind of automatically, without even realizing that mm-hmm. that's what I'm doing. And it's just the culture that you've grown up in that that's what's acceptable. That's that's what will make people like you, so to speak. Um, but I found myself doing it this week uh, at work where I had to send a message to somebody and I was asserting myself and I found myself apologizing for speaking up for what I needed. And so I wrote, sorry, I'm just trying to blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, why am I apologizing? There's nothing to apologize for. And I removed that from my message and just asserted myself because I don't need to make myself small. I don't, I, I'm not threatening. I should not be seen as threatening by just stating the fact and asserting myself. And so I think that that was one takeaway that I had that was a direct result from reading this book was I don't, mm-hmm. I don't need to do that. That it's okay to, to, to be assertive and be who you are and not apologize for that. So I love that chapter too, Charlotte. Did you have any chapters you want to share about Rachel? Um, no, I'm good. Okay. Well, when we, when you guys bring them up, then I'll add my part. <laughs> okay. Um, I, um, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, do you think that like when you're reading that chapter, because I've, um, I know when I read, read the chapters about like, was assimilationist, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like that. Like when I was growing up, I feel kind of like that was me. When like, like when you're a kid and growing up in a town and like people that use like the, oh, they're one of the good ones. Like they're one of the, they're one of the people that act like me. So that makes them okay. And I was like, oh my, oh my gosh, I can see so much of this in my childhood to where I had to stop and be like, oh, like nobody has to be like you or, or you don't have to feel sorry for somebody who's not like you just because they're different. Like you're no better than them. Don't, don't have pity on somebody or act like they need to be you to be, to be better. And so I think that sometimes through that book, it was, I was able to kind of sit back and reflect a little bit like, oh, sorry. (laughs) So that was me. I I had the thought too. I wonder um, how much, of this is affected by being a mm. woman and mm. how, you know, make yourself small. Don't be threatening. Like, I think there's an element of being a woman that plays into that too. Um, and, and being in a world of white patriarchy. Mm, yeah. um, 
so that that's something that kind of made me pause and think about a little bit too. Um, <clears throat> and speaking of white patriarchy, and I know we're kind of, I'm kind of getting away from the book a little bit, but there was an incident that happened this week uh, with a well-known evangelical um, pastor person in the faith community. Um, pastor, yes, he's well-known, written a lot of books, um, who said, who made a statement regarding, he was in a setting, was having a conversation, and he made a statement that we should call white privilege, white blessing. If you haven't seen that, um, you could go look up the clip. It's still out there. Yeah, just Google um, white blessings. You'll find it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and so he has since come out and apologized, but that whole thing stems from white patriarchy. So what did you guys see that video and what was your reaction? I saw the video it was so cringy. <laughs> and, and it was cringy. That's the perfect word. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Is it Louis or Louis Giglio? I think it's Giglio? Louis Giglio. Oh, okay. Louis Giglio. <laughs> Clearly, I know this guy. Yeah. yeah. Classing it up. Yeah, <laughs> I've actually seen Oh, had live. I, he, he was at a, he spoke at a, I was at a, a Christian concert several years ago and he was there and spoke. So I've actually so seen he, him speak. Um, he was, um, he was sitting. So, so number one, you said conversation. This was a broad, this was a television show where two other people were sitting with him. Right. The, and one of the other, the other person that one of the other people sitting with him was, as was a well-known Christian black artist, music artist. Um, and so I kept thinking to him like, oh my gosh, like what is going through his head right now? You're sitting there live on TV, listening to this guy that you've affiliated with your, yourself with say this. And it's, you know, I think it's, I think his reaction, number one, he didn't call him out on it. He just kind of went along with it. I think his reaction, I, I obviously, I don't know what was going through his head, but I can imagine, I can imagine being in that situation and have somebody say something that is so blatantly out of line and just sit there and go, okay, what am I going to do right now? What am I going to do? Am I going to say something or am I just going to let this go? And am I, am I going to, am I going to yeah. suffer the, the emotional repercussions for not speaking up? Um, along with no realizing what this person really thinks and how off base they are. Um, but it was, you know, he, he said, I think basically what he was saying is we, we talk about the curse of slavery, but let's not forget the blessings of slavery, the white blessings of slavery that it helped build up this country. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Look at all you've done. Um, Thank just, you. There's just no way to make it sound no. any better. It was just like right. you said, like, it was just cringy. Like, oh, man. Just, <laughs> I mean, it, it really wasn't even like a thank you for all you've done. It was just like, hey, thanks, God, for giving us these right. people to make all of our dreams come true. <laughs> what a blessing. So, Sharisa, you you called, you mentioned that there was um, another um, well-known person who kind of called him out and corrected him publicly on this, what he said. Yes, there is a woman named Lisa Sharon Harper. Um, she's been in the social justice um, world for a very long time, um, but she actually publicly rebuked him um, on Twitter. It was very much done in love. Um, it, it was basically saying, hey, you messed up. 
and you need to repent from this. Um, but the way that she did it, I thought was very tactful and great. Um, I've actually been looking into her a little bit more recently and she's got a lot of really good content out there. She's, um, she's in the evangelical community. Um, but she's all about, uh, justice. Um, and so the pastor, um, did come out with an apology. Um, I think I didn't see the whole apology. I, I do think it was heartfelt, but I really hope that, um, he takes this whole situation to heart and really searches for, for what needs to be Mm. corrected um yeah and and i felt so bad for lecrae was the the artist that was sitting there with him and, and i think i probably would have had a similar reaction at the time because i would just would have been like I, I wouldn't have known what to say um in the moment and i think that for me it takes me a while to process things so i think i wouldn't have i don't it was so blatant but in the moment I think it would have taken me a second to kind of be like, no, wait a minute, what? And then try to figure out what I was supposed to say. Um, <clears throat> but I, <clears throat> excuse me, but I did like how um, Lisa Sharon Harper called him out and said, mm-hmm. let's fix this. So she did um, offer to do a live like Instagram live with him and have a conversation with him. She invited him to that. I'm not sure if that actually happened or not. Um, but I would be interested to see how this unfolds because I do believe that our leaders in the faith community are going to be a huge catalyst to help bring about change that is needed in America. So it's kind of his choice. We'll see. He can use this as an opportunity to demonstrate, to demonstrate what it means to be teachable and to have humility and to truly have a change of heart, or he can just say, I'm sorry and pretend kind of pretend like it didn't happen after that. So it'll be interesting to see. And how he chooses to respond will be uh, those who follow him. It will make an impact on. So if he chooses to, to lean into it and do the work, then hopefully he'll have some positive change for those that follow him. And, vice versa, the other way around. Well, we are at time. And uh, I think we, 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 um, there's a lot about the book stamped that we didn't even have a chance to really talk about today. So I think we've agreed that we want to spend at least one, maybe two more podcast episodes really digging into some of the things that we've learned through reading stamped um, and discussing those and processing those um, through the podcast. So definitely, um, if you haven't picked up the book, um, and chances are you're not going to find a physical copy. If you do, good luck. You win a prize. Um, there, But there are plenty of um, e- e-book copies, audiobook copies. The audiobook is awesome. Like Sharissa said, it's only four hours, which is pretty quick for an audiobook. Um, definitely pick it up. Um, read along with us. So if you haven't picked up the book yet and you're looking for something that's um, that you can, you know, that you can listen to that's pretty digestible, maybe something you want to listen to with your kids during summer break. This is a great um, option um, to read along with us and um, join in, in on the conversation um, around what we're learning through Stamped. Yes, please join us in reading this. It's excellent. Any other closing thoughts? I've got wow. nothing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there's, wait, we'll talk. There's so many. We'll have to go into them next time. <laughs> okay, Rachel, you're on for next week. Okay. All right. Well, until then, okay. I hope you guys have a great week. You too. Thank you. Goodbye. See ya.